I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everyone knows that Kansas City is a special place during the holidays. It doesn't matter where you go in town, everybody is celebrating. And that's one of those holidays that started in the early days of Kansas City. How did Christmas start here in KC? Diane Houston and I take a look at how the Christmas holiday began celebrating in Kansas City. Well, Diane, I, I think Kansas City does one of the best jobs at celebrating Christmas of any city in America. I think you look around and mm-hmm. everybody knows about New York City and how great that is. But after living in some other places, you know, you realize, man, Kansas City embraces the Christmas holiday. And that's kind of something we've been doing almost since since day one, since all the fur traders arrived from St. Louis, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Christmas has definitely, I think it's always the taste of the season. And and even just if you want to call it the holidays and be all PC or whatever, but in general, the area has always had a way of celebrating Christmas. It's just, you know, kind of morphed as the, I guess the traditions of the entire country were influenced by other cultures, which is really cool. I mean, it's kind of the story of America's story at the same time. Yeah, I think when you when you look around Kansas City, everybody knows how great the plaza is. Everybody knows how great Union Station is. The mayor's Christmas tree is pretty awesome as well. Mm-hmm. But it was about back in the 1850s, like right before the Civil War, where everybody decided, hey, we all just moved here and we're not from here and our families are all back in like Virginia. So we got to celebrate this thing together. So let's go, I guess, balls to the wall when we celebrate Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, when you moved to the area, and I think it's important to note that you never went alone. You know, it's not like you rogue, rogue shopped in the West. You know, you, you knew people, whether it was neighbors, usually like large family units. So a lot of cousins, marrying cousins. I mean, that's just the truth. And so they would come as big groups, you know, by wagon train into Missouri of course, during the time. And mm-hmm. by the 1830s, the people that are settling in the area are predominantly from Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. We've talked a lot about this. So, you know, and of course they brought enslaved people with them and they also brought their traditions from back home, but because they couldn't, you know, grandma was still over in Kentuck, you know, and grandpa is dead, <laughs> whatever else, you know, they had to develop their own set of traditions. So neighborhoods would actually celebrate more than anything. And to be clear, we don't have subdivisions in the 1830s and 40s. These are, we're talking, your nearest neighbor might be a half mile away. So at that point, it was more about celebrating within like a log cabin and then having like a traditional, uh, you know, gathering of sorts that went all night long, which I think is pretty awesome. So they would, you know, celebrate by cooking, you know, meals of wild turkey and saddle of mutton like 
what the hell saddle of mutton is that like like the back of a (laughs) lamb or something like that like the only reference i have to mutton in my entire life is seinfeld where they eat the mutton and then they hide it in the couch or the cushion oh yeah and and, and, in the napkin and the napkin because there you know nobody likes mutton right so besides that i really don't have a frame of reference for what mutton is other than like leftover lamb it's like spam of the day I mean, I think that's the best way to say it. I don't think I wouldn't want it either. I don't, at least my mom never forced me to eat anything like that. I mean, and to like mutton, you just say that it's I th- exactly Seinfeld. That's our reference point. But they had other stuff like roasted pig and things that we would, you know, would chicken. Of course, mm-hmm. they wild turkey would have been a big thing because definitely we had a lot of those here. And at the time, sides are going to be your root cellar vegetables and then also dried fruits. And if you were really fancy, you got fresh fruit if you could afford it. So those were kind of the things that they were doing at the time. There was no RSVP. Invitations were, if they were written, they were informal. And it was like, hey, you didn't even, you didn't even need to tell anybody how many people you were bringing. You know how people freak out like the RSVP. Like, is it two? Is it four? Are you bringing in the kids? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not like that. They're like, you could show up day of. We don't care if we didn't knew you were coming. There was always enough food for everybody. And we get a lot of these references in Kansas City from Nellie McCoy Harris, which uh, she did a lot of writing um, when she was older after her dad passed away, John McCoy, founder of Westport in Kansas City. And she talked really fondly about some of these these uh, memories. She said, we went to frolics early and we stayed late. Like, okay. She also said that the McGee's threw really good parties, which makes me very happy because I'm friends with the descendants of um, the McGee family here in Kansas City. Um, and they're, they're, they like to party. They're cool. So, so good for them. Well, um, yeah, and- it's funny how the, like the founder of Kansas City also was basically like the founder of Christmas in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I guess when you're someplace first, you get the opportunity to kind of lay the groundwork and set yeah. the standard for what everything is going to be. And like Nellie McCoy is like, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And here we are almost 200 years later from the time she did all this kind of stuff. And a lot of the stuff, a lot of that groundwork was laid back then by the original founders of this town. Yeah, it would have looked different and for sure because, I mean, enslaved labor of a lot of these people would have been making the food, but mm-hmm. then also sugar was such a commodity. So, I mean, sugar was super expensive. So if you had desserts, that was like you were super fancy. And she references pyramid cakes, which I think is just, it's, you know, the stack cake that gets smaller as it goes up, right? I mean, we, it, I can picture it today. I mean, absolutely. And they would put them on like makeshift tables and people would just like walk and just like grab a handful and the bottom layer of the pyramid cake was iced but it was actually a tin pan so people never made it to the bottom layer of the the pyramid cake she also talks about saying merry christmas which i think is really interesting Mm -hmm. because we say merry christmas which i never say like merry new year (laughs) merry thanksgiving merry saint patrick's day yeah, like we should bring it back. That actually would be kind of fun. Just throw it off and like start saying all these Merry Easter. Right. <laughs> Merry Mother's Day. <laughs> I mean, it's happy, right? It's happy everything. And it, the formal, you know, way to greet somebody at the time would have been Merry Christmas. But they didn't say that. That's why like some of those old movies you hear them say Happy Christmas. And you're like, that sounds so funny. But we're the ones screwing it up. It's mm-hmm. It should be Happy Christmas. And actually the origins of Merry Christmas is interesting. It comes from We Wish You a Merry Christmas, the song. And it, it goes all the way back to the 1500s. So it was We Wish You a Merry Christmas was the formal way to actually introduce yourself. Like, you know, Merry Christmas, hello. And the real people were like, 
no, that's not what we do. And so Nellie McCoy thought that was always strange that people, she's like, Merry Christmas sounds stupid. She's right, by the way. And one of the things that they would yell, like when they entered a home as children is Christmas gift. I, I want to yell Christmas gift out like my car window, see what happens. Well, people probably would probably look at you crazy because nobody's used to <laughs> anything like that. But if they live back in the 1850s, they would know. That would have been normal. That, that yeah. Christmas gift would have been absolutely something normal that you would have said it at, at, at that point in time. Yeah. And I, I think also, too, when you look at, you know, at, at Christmas in, in this country, like we have all these traditions, but they're not that old. I mean, like the Christmas tree is not even 200 right. years old in America, you know, like it's all of the stuff that we do and 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 celebrate <laughs> the way we, you know, kind of uh, act this time of year. Like if you would have done this 200 years ago, people would have been looking at you with the side eye going, what the hell is going on with this guy? Why are you bringing nature? Why is there a tree inside? Yeah. (laughs) This squirrel comes by. I mean, like Christmas vacation. Christmas vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Just chop it out of your front yard. Who cares if there's a nest in there? Right. No, you're absolutely right. And the the story and the origins of our Christmas and our traditions obviously is going to be the merging of, like I said, European society and bringing all their customs to America and the Christmas tree. I like the the origins of the Christmas tree because it starts in about 1841 is when it became kind of the thing, if you will. And that was in England. And the origins of the Christmas tree is actually a German custom. And, you know, people were used to them bringing nature's indoors because it was so dark. As we know, the winter, it's dark and it's dreary. And so they wanted to bring nature inside, actually, through garlands and festoons and mistletoe. And those things were happening. But the idea of bringing... A tree inside was not um, a thing that, you know, the Dutch or Scandinavians or anything else did. The Dutch had Santa Claus, though, of course, that's mm-hmm. where that starts. So essentially, they uh, the, the tradition began, became a thing in the United States in the 1850s after Prince Albert, which, of course, you know, he married Queen Victoria, which is Victorian era. Um, cousins, by the way, just saying, um, marries her and he brings with him his tr- his custom of having an actual Christmas tree indoors. And it was decorated um, you know, candles became a thing, but it was decorated in, in fruits and, and things that you would actually eat off the tree. It's sap, I have lots of questions about this. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they would decorate these trees indoors. And so she allowed, if you will, her husband to have this tradition brought into the palace. And there was an etching done in 1841 that all of a sudden it was like, well, everything that Victoria, you know, Victoria did was Victorian and amazing. And so we all want to do it. And so they saw an etching of a tabletop large tree on a table. They were all on tables um, and decorated. And that's what the rage was. So by the 1850s, really, New York City was the first notation I could find of actually like a like a christmas tree you know farm in the city like Mm -hmm. come and get your christmas tree in kansas city that doesn't really develop it was a foreign custom to kansas city because you can imagine german immigration was more of a uh, st louis thing and german immigration in kansas city was a little bit delayed if you will so we don't have a real strong german population until the 1880s so we didn't really have trees in kansas city until like the 1880s and they were tabletop trees we more of course every america we have to do everything big so you know, it morphs from there. But yeah, these traditions that we we think about candies and, and decorating trees are pretty cool that it's really pretty recent. And they wouldn't have had it at those gatherings back in, you know, the olden days of, you know, Nellie McCoy yelling Christmas gift and all that stuff, you know? Right, right. And But but also, too, when you think about this this part of the country, you have to think about, as we've kind of touched on a little bit so far, is, is the slave situation. Because one side of the state line was slavery, the other side was not yeah. slavery. And obviously, that was something that was fought over even before the Civil War started. 
but it was yeah. kind of something that w- uh, affected Christmas and one of the most no- notorious, like, I guess, battles, you could say, you know, mm-hmm. before the Civil War took place, takes place on Christmas Day back in 1858. And I love the term that you use, ruffians. I mean, we don't border use ruffians. that. We don't use the term border ruffians enough yeah. anymore. I think it is, a, it, it is a great term. But John Brown went and basically uh, raided, you know, the other side of the state line to try to save some lives. Oh, you know, John Brown. What would John Brown do? you know mm-hmm. um hero or villain but yeah so john brown he he does come to the area you know to make kansas free how and- could he be considered a a, a <laughs> villain though i mean like oh. he, he's out here going to the missouri side of the state line trying to rescue folks that were enslaved i just don't see how that you know means that, villain. i didn't okay you're right. He's on the right side of history, to be clear. What mm-hmm. I call him a villain is he was actually considered one of America's first terrorists. Because oh. if you look at the definition of terrorism, John Brown raided Harper's Ferry before we were at war. So he literally raided a federal arsenal for weapons. Oh, OK. <laughs> like he was a terrorist yeah. <laughs> and he got he was hanged for it. I mean, he, he lost his life. And this this incident in, in Kansas this happens prior to obviously he's still alive so but this is one of his last big moves in uh, missouri kansas before he actually went to harper's ferry to try to he thought that he could rile up a slave insurrection and have them you know join his side and they were all like uh we're good as you raid the federal arsenal Mm -hmm. um and actually robert e lee was there and he was still you know he would have at that point still been a part of the united states we weren't at war yet so yeah so that's the terrorism part that's why i say villain um so so yeah, so John Brown, the week of Christmas in 1858, he, you know, ends up making his first real mark in the newspapers. People knew of him, but he wasn't really talked about or anything in the East or anything like that. You know, they always brought the news from Kansas because there was always something crazy going on. So it was the week of Christmas. He actually goes over um, to a guy named James Lawrence's farm. He had died, but he had enslaved people there. So he goes over there on the Missouri side. This is Vernon County. So just below. So that Cass, and then you got Bates County and Vernon's the next county down. So we're talking. I was wondering where where Vernon County was. I was trying to think like, I've never heard of Vernon County before. Yeah. So, so Bates County, Butler, if you know where Butler, Missouri is, it's just to the South. So Vernon County was part of order 11, like when we banished people, but just like a little section of it. So anyway, so he's in Vernon County. And he takes about 25 men over to the border. 15 are in his group and some other dudes leading 10. I don't know what happened to them. But so he goes over to this guy, this Harvey S. Hicklin's house. He's at the Thomas. He's at this Lawrence farm because remember Lawrence had died. So this is his estate, essentially. And under the threat of death, essentially, Brown carried off a bunch of merchandise from this farm. And, and it, he also took the two slaves if you will and um also one woman and some children and then he at this other group goes to the farm of david cruz and they actually like held these people like you know at death and said we're going to kill you if you don't tell us they there was rumor that there was like buried treasure i don't know why there's all these rumors about buried treasure everywhere but th- that's what they heard and so they thought you know maybe they could get this buried treasure they put a gun up to this wife's head the whole thing and so it, essentially, this is not, this isn't good. They even tried to free one of this guy's slaves, David Cruz's slaves. And he's like, I'm good. And like ran off. Like this is crazy stuff happening. In total, they take 11 slaves away. And they actually, John Brown and his people escort them all the way to Canada. 
That's crazy. It's crazy. And think it's Christmas time. Yeah. It's cold, man. And, and it's you're the going north. north. Yeah. Right? Like it's crazy. So they traveled 1500 miles in 82 days. Like I walking. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Anyway, so John, he liberates these uh, these enslaved people and becomes known notoriously as the Christmas raid. And the rumor has it that one of the, the enslaved women was pregnant at the time. And when she got to Canada, she gave birth and she named him John Brown after her oh, hero. So, true. yeah. So so essentially that was his last Christmas because he was dead by December 2nd, 1859, after raiding the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry. Right. So that's uh John Brown, of course, is credited with being the guy who essentially is the one who led us into the Civil War. It was inevitable, but, you know, he was doing those things. And then there was also another event um, just after next year in Westport. <laughs> Westport went up in flames Christmas Day in 1859. Now, this was the first time that Westport went up in flames or was this first like, time? First time. <laughs> first, okay. first time. Sure. Yeah. We had yeah. an engineer back in the day who put Westport into flames back in 2000 during Red Friday. So I'm just mm -hmm. making sure this was the first time that it went up in flames. Yeah, this is this is the this is the the first fiery raid of, you know, of the town of Westport. And this is, you know, early on and all that. The, the, here's Westport was a pro-slavery town. So here we go again with the pro-slavery stuff. So they didn't have a fire department, of course. It's 1859. And the it, the wells were dried up, so there's no water. And uh, one of the businesses, according to, you know, newspaper accounts, and I love it, it, it originates from the Pioneer Drugstore. I'm like, that sounds like a fake place you would go at, like, Walt Disney World in the Wild West. <laughs> like, well, nobody well, actually calls it the Pioneer Drugstore. No, it, it was it, called it, that. It sounds like, like, Plasticville, USA, when you built those train sets <laughs> as a kid and the drugstore was named the Pioneer Drugstore. Or maybe it's something you discover in, I don't know, South Dakota as you're driving to Mount Rushmore and you get free ice, you discover that drugstore. Maybe that was Pioneer Drugstore back then. Exactly. I, I, you have good points. I just think it's funny. Like I, we say pioneer and I'm like, they didn't call themselves pioneers. Oh, but they did. They did. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Yeah. So this fire is actually, you know, starts in this drugstore and the clerk was off at church. I mean, it, he's got to go to church. It's Christmas day. And what people don't realize is that Christmas did not become a national holiday until mm -hmm. the 1870s. So this is before that, like he was at work and he locked the door. He's like, I'll be back. <laughs> so he comes back and they can't unlock the door and then there's no way to put the fire out so of course it spreads to 13 and i love that people took a, including roby's indian store like, of course of course there's this, an indian store why wouldn't there be and so this uh people had gathered to you know put out the fire but amidst the chaos of course there's people that are going to take care of, you know, take advantage of the situation. And so the West, I, the, the Westport Border Star reported this. A great deal of free liquor was rolled out onto the street and a great many free drinks or drinkers took advantage of it. They got a cheap Christmas spree. <laughs> yeah. So they were looting back then, too. They were looting. And then they yeah. also stole like undergarments and men were walking away with like women's underwear. And hey, stuff you got to get gifts for your pants. wife, man. I don't care how I mean, it happens, right? Exactly. People were still giving those Christmas. So people yell Christmas gifts and they throw them underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's a corset. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these are all just like fun things. And it's it's kind of amazing that even with all of this, like the idea of Santa bringing gifts that hadn't even happened yet. This was just like early pioneer Christmas. 
And so as as that progresses, then we get closer yeah. and closer to the Civil War. And here we are, 1861. Mm-hmm. Civil War breaks out. It's Christmas Day. People are trying to do something nice, take your mind off the war. Boy, mm-hmm. you can't really do anything nice around these parts when it comes to free states versus the slave states, can you? Like, no matter what you do, no. something's going to happen. Shit's going to hit the fan, huh? Basically, and I think that it's, it goes back to that the modern day Santa kind of comes about at this in this era as well. And it was the northern of the very, very famed Harper's Weekly, which was like mm-hmm. the magazine at the time. Oh, God, and yes. so, yeah, so Thomas Nast, our artist, and if you don't know, Google, everybody needs to Google because you'll go immediately. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, everybody so Thomas, knows Thomas Nast, right? They you have to know, know Thomas Nast. I mean, he, he is his art is amazing. He was hired as an illustrator. He's in his 20s. And, um, you know, he's the one who's really the one that uh, is credited with the modern image of St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. And in 1862, Christmas 1862, which the issue came out January of 1863, but whatever, the imagery of what he created is what created the modern Santa Claus. And it all was surrounding the Civil War. So Santa, if you will, is pictured in a union camp. And he has, he's sitting on like a, a, he's sitting down and he has a red, white, and blue, but it's not colored, but you know it is because it's the American flag. He's wearing the American flag, but he's in a jolly old suit and he's got the hat on and he's got the beard, all of it's there. And he's holding up, he's holding out gifts or giving out gifts to these Union soldiers, including one guy who's dangling a Jefferson Davis like puppet in the air that's on a noose. So, you know, we know what side they're on. Mm-hmm. So, this imagery is so close to the original Santa Claus and the same exact issue. He also created this other image that is like a woman alone praying in her bedroom out looking out the window. And then there's another image of a man all by himself, a union soldier sitting by a tree and there's imagery of a graveyard and the children, you know, everybody gathered for Christmas, but they're missing, you know, the soldier, they're missing their dad. And that imagery is what essentially, you know, besides being a little depressing, but also very powerful was the imagery that actually blossomed into the modern Santa Claus. So he ended up making other illustrations, his most famous being the red, you know, wearing red Santa Claus that we see by the the early 1800s or 1880s, excuse me. And so, you know, that whole image of Christmas peace, trying to get to Christmas peace. And we're still two years out from peace, but he had the um, the imagery in his mind enough to know, and as a German immigrant, no less, of what that would look like and what kind of um, imagery that would set for uh, the Christmas season in midst of war, which is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And the fact that it all took off and then stayed, because a lot of times you Yay, see yeah. things that are created and they just kind of go by the wayside. This one stayed and and gave us, I, I guess, kind of Christmas as we know it, right? Yeah, it did. And, and thinking about by 1865, 620,000 men, 2% of the population was dead because wow. of the Civil War. And so to be able to bring something that was positive, although sad, but positive into such chaos of our country and trying to get to that healing part. And I think that we can agree without getting political that we need to be a country that is of a healing nature and not of animosity, especially if you get to the Christmas, you know, you get to that Christmas dinner and you got uncle Joe who doesn't believe the same things that you do. It's like best to leave him at home. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Best best to leave it at home, but also best to say, you know what, put your differences aside. It's exactly it's Christmas. And, and I, and that was one of the quotes that I found from the daily journal of commerce, the Kansas city newspaper from Christmas Eve, 1865. So 
after the civil wars ended at this point. It said there is absolutely no good and equitable reason for further strife or antagonism between the people of different sections. Let our motto be our country, the union, one and inseparable. And it goes on from there to say, with the door hereafter and for other barred against sectional jealousies, the people of the United States will be in the future present a united front for despotisms of the world. It's like that could be written almost any time. It's a fun look back at one of the most exciting holidays of the year. And of course, without the beginning of Kansas City, who knows where the Christmas holiday season would be today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 